Well, it's Easter weekend, and you know if you listen to a sermon on Easter weekend, it's going to be a message about the resurrection, because without the resurrection, there is no Easter. That's why many Christians celebrate it as Resurrection Day or Resurrection Sunday. Um, so yeah, it's about the resurrection. One Easter Sunday, there was a minister that was preaching a children's sermon. Um, this is a, a spot before his regular sermon where he'll have the kids come up and he teaches a small lesson for the kids. And he asked the kids this question, do any of you know what resurrection means? Now, when you ask kids a question, especially in front of an audience like this, you got to be careful because you never know how a kid's going to answer. Well, one little boy raised his hand and the preacher called on him and he says, well, I know if you have a resurrection that lasts longer than four hours, you need to call your doctor. <laughs> well, four hours is how long it took the congregation to quit laughing. Now, it shouldn't surprise anyone that, that I'm going to talk about the resurrection, because the Apostle Paul says that without the resurrection, there is no Christianity, right? Without the resurrection, <laughs> there's no Christian faith. Our entire faith hinges on the historic fact of the empty tomb. And when it comes to the idea of the resurrection, the very concept, Christianity was swimming upstream. Right? The first century Roman Empire was not fertile soil for this idea of you know, people coming back from the dead. In fact, outside of Judaism, um, there was no pagan religion in the Greco-Roman world that believed that resurrection was even possible. N.T. Wright, one of the world's foremost New Testament scholars, has done um, tremendous amounts of research into this issue, and he writes that Christianity was born into a world where its central claim was known to be false. Right? Many believed the dead were non-existence. Everyone knew that dead people didn't and couldn't come back to bodily life. Among the Greeks, Homer had bluntly stated that the resurrection simply doesn't happen. Playwright Aeschylus writes, once a man has died and the dust has soaked up his blood, there is no resurrection. Plato taught that the soul is immortal. Right? It existed before the body and would continue to exist after the body. But once the body was gone, it was never coming back. And then the Romans, like the Greeks before them, did not believe in any sort of bodily resurrection. Cicero taught that, that the body, in fact, is a prison cell. It might be necessary for the moment, but no one in their right mind, having lost their body, would want it or anything like it ever again. Right, so bodily death not only was final, it was to be welcomed. So... When the early church comes along and, and the apostles come along and they begin to proclaim not only the physical resurrection of Jesus, but the certain hope of resurrection for those who follow him, this was truly a new and revolutionary idea. Now, this eventually became a problem 
in the Corinthian church, a church that was made up of both former Jews and a lot of former pagan Gentiles. But after the church got established and Paul had moved on to, to other things in his ministry, there were some false teachers who came into the church and they were telling these early Christians that there's no such thing as the resurrection because we all know that's impossible. It's ridiculous to think that, you know, one day your body's going to come back and be raised from the dead. Well, so Paul writes the Corinthians a letter, and you'll find this letter in your Bibles is 1 Corinthians. And in this letter, Paul deals with this problem head on. He begins by affirming the historic reality of the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 3, it says, For I delivered unto you, as of first importance, what I also received. Right? So Paul's saying, here, the most important thing that I taught you, and it's the most important thing that anyone ever taught me. Right? This is Christianity 101, right? from day one. This is what Christianity's always taught. It's what we've always believed. And what is the core of this message? Well, here's what Paul says. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So, as of first importance, most important, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then Paul goes on, he, he lists all these eyewitnesses to a physically resurrected Jesus. He begins with Peter and then ends with Paul himself. And in between these, there's, there's a whole bunch, more than 500 people who have viewed the resurrected Jesus. And in these resurrection appearances, there are individual personal appearances. There are group appearances, including more than 500 at one time. So these appearances, this was not a mistake. This was not a hallucination because there's no such thing as a mass hallucination, right? There are mass hysteria. There's such a thing as that, but not mass hallucination. A hallucination is something that happens in here, not out here that can be experienced by multiple people at the same time. And you have to remember that the people who viewed Jesus, right, they weren't expecting a resurrection. They were on the run. They were in hiding, right? And it even includes people who are hostile to the faith. I mean, think about it. When Jesus first appeared to Paul, Paul was actively persecuting the church. He didn't believe in Jesus. He hated Jesus. And the last thing that Paul ever wanted to see was a risen Jesus. And so Paul makes his case that the resurrection of Jesus is an undeniable fact of history. But then he points out the absurdity of, of believing in Jesus' resurrection and then turning right around and claiming, well, there's no resurrection of the dead, right? Because if the dead can't be raised, then Jesus wasn't raised. And this is his argument in verses 12 through 17. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. We're just, we're lying. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, this whole religion thing is useless. It makes no sense. We're just wasting our time. But then Paul promises us that, that not only did Jesus, in fact, rise from the dead, but that his resurrection is like a, a deposit guaranteeing our own resurrection. And Paul says that we have a sure and certain hope of the resurrection because of Jesus' empty tomb. A risen Jesus is all of the evidence we need, verses 20 through 23. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And he's like the first of the harvest that has come in, and it's a promise of more to come. For since the death came through a man, it's talking about Adam there, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And so what I want to do for, for a bit in this message is talk about not just the resurrection, but our resurrection, hopefully your resurrection, and the hope that we have of resurrection. Right? That's Paul's whole point in this chapter. Because of what happened to Jesus, we have a sure and certain hope of our own physical resurrection and ultimately eternal life. But what will that look like? How will we be raised? What will our resurrection bodies be like? I, you know, it's only natural that these early Christians had some questions. And I think their questions are very similar to our own questions. These are the same questions that we ask when, when a loved one dies or Maybe something happens in our life and we begin to question our own mortality. So Paul's first explanation comes from the world of farming and the planting of seeds. Right? It's, it's spring and, and some of you probably already, you've planted some flowers, you're starting to get your gardens ready for your spring planting. Well, Paul says that, that our body, our current body that dies is like only a seed that is planted. But the body that is raised will be the plant in full blossom, right? Verses 35 through 39. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Now, what Paul is saying here is that there will be a continuity between who we are in this body and who we will become when this body dies and we are resurrected. Um, if you plant a kernel of corn, 
you don't just get another kernel of corn. You don't just get a bunch of kernels of corn. You get, you get a whole plant, but you still get corn, right? You don't plant a kernel of corn and, and, and get beans. Your current body will die. And the body that is raised will be unmistakably, undeniably you. And this is one of, of the points with Jesus' own resurrection. Um, in his first resurrection appearances, uh, in, in, Jesus, in one occasion, he seemingly appears out of nowhere and frightens the disciples. And at first, they think they have seen a ghost. You know, they believe that, that they are seeing some, like, non-physical spiritual phantom. Uh, he's not physical. In Luke 24, beginning with verse 38, Jesus says this, why are you troubled? And why do you do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So Jesus' resurrection body is flesh and bone. It's very recognizable as Jesus. And the disciples, they they touch him. They see him. People recognize him as Jesus. In fact, Jesus sits down and eats, eats lunch with his disciples. All right, so it's not just an apparition that has some vague resemblance to Jesus. It is him. So Paul's very clear that this will be a physical, bodily resurrection. But he's also very clear that it's going to be a different kind of body. And Paul calls it a spiritual body or a heavenly body. It's a body that's not just suited for earthly life. It's suited for eternal existence in the supernatural realm. Huh. Doesn't this open the door to wonder and speculation? And how will our resurrection bodies be different from our current body? Just as there is continuity between the seed and the plant, there will be continuity between who and what we are now and who we will be. But we will be better. We will be more. And so over these next few verses, Paul kind of lays out the differences between our current bodies and our resurrection bodies. And he, he contrasts them. Verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the star differs and star differs from star in splendor. So in drawing comparisons to the splendor of the sun, the moon, and the stars, their, and their different glory, what Paul is talking about there is their brilliance, their, their luminance. Their glory is their glow. Paul makes the point that our resurrection bodies will have a different kind of splendor and a greater glory. And starting in verse 42, Paul begins to contrast the ways in which the glory of our spiritual bodies uh, will be different from our current bodies. Verse 42, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So let's go through this list. 
All right. First of all, the current body is perishable. Right? You know how when you buy food at the supermarket, it comes with a use-by date or a best-by date? Right? Your body comes with a use-by date. Now, maybe only God knows what that date is, but, but it will expire. Right? Perishable means it breaks down, it wears out, it dies. Right? Joints just don't work like they used to. I mean, I got a shoulder that's been bad for years. Arteries get clogged, they stiffen, muscles atrophy and lose their strength. Hair follicles, quit growing hair, eyes dim, ears lose their, their range of hearing. Science calls it entropy. Doctors call it aging. The Apostle Paul calls it perishable. I think the best example of this I've ever heard is uh, Billy Crystal's character has a rant in City Slickers. He's a a middle-aged man, and he's going through a midlife crisis, and he shows up at his son's career day at school to talk to students about what he does for a living. Um, but he's down in the dumps, right? And he dispenses this lovely piece of, of advice. He says, value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life where you still have all your choices. And it goes by so quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin, the music starts to get too loud, and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. Your 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. 70s, you and the wife will retire to Fort Lauderdale. You'll start eating dinner at 2, lunch around 10, breakfast the night before, and you spend most of your time wandering around the mall looking for the ultimate in soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke, and you end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but whom you call mama. Any questions? That's perishable. But Paul says the resurrection body is imperishable. Right? And the word he uses here means immortal, incorruptible. It does not decay. It wouldn't make much sense, would it, if we were raised back to life, but it was just another body like this one that can break down and wear out? I mean, can you imagine it? Jesus welcomes you to, to eternity. And then he says, well, everyone be careful. You've got these brand new bodies, but you've got to make them last. No, that wouldn't make any sense at all. Now, what I'm talking about here is something beyond our imagination. We've never seen imperishable before. We don't have any idea what that's like. Everything we know breaks down and wears out. Does this mean that the laws of physics will be different or that we will simply be beyond them? I don't know. But Paul uses a word to describe our new bodies here. Most modern translations say transformed or changed. But the Greek word that's used here is the same word from which we get metamorphosis. Right? So much like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, we will be raised as something new. It'll still be us. You know, you'll still be essentially you, but new, different, better, more. Next, Paul says that our current body 
is sown in dishonor. And this word means of low status, disgrace, every day marked with failure of falling short of our potential of what we could be and should be. And this has to do with the fact that, that our current bodies are so consumed with sin and therefore death. Right? We can't even conceive of what it would be like to live without these things because they're part of our everyday lives. But Paul says our resurrection body will be raised in glory Right? And it's the same glory word that we saw earlier in the chapter. It's, it's associated th with things like splendor, wonder, brilliance, remarkable in appearance. This is the word that Jesus used when he said, even Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed like one of these, talking about the flowers of the field. This word seems to be focused on our appearance, what we will look like. I think there are several incidents of scripture that, that maybe give us a hint or, or indicate that, that our resurrection bodies will have some sort of, well, brilliant luminescence associated with them. I think of Moses after coming down Mount Sinai, after he's just seen the presence of God after it's passed by. And his face glows with such a radiance that, that the people can't even stand to look at him. How much more so for those of us who will spend eternity in the brilliant presence of God in the eternal city that we're told in Revelation needs no light, right? No lamps, no lights, no lanterns, no sun, because God himself will be our light. In the Gospels, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the, the veil of Jesus' humanity is lifted for just a moment. And Peter, James, and John, those three disciples, for just a few moments, are able to view Jesus in all of his divine glory. And then Moses and Elijah uh, appear with him, and they are also arrayed in brilliant, dazzling light. I think that maybe gives us an indication. In Acts chapter 9, Paul has his own personal resurrection appearance uh, as Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. And, and Jesus' brilliance is so bright that, that Paul is blinded from his experience. Now, Scripture says that we will be like him in our resurrection bodies, that we will share in his glory. Now, does that mean that we will share in his luminescent splendor as well? Perhaps. Number four, Paul says that the body that dies, well, is limited by weakness. It's feeble. It's sickly. Um, and we all know about this, don't we? I mean, we are so limited, right? Maybe you have to stop for a breather before you climb another flight of stairs. Um, it was funny this last weekend, uh, Teresa and I, we attended a, a concert, uh, a band that was celebrating its 50th uh, year in existence, right? So the band's getting up there in years. And as you might imagine, a lot of the fans are getting up there in years as well. And so as we're climbing up the steps to get to our seats, there's some people that, that are older than us. 
And some of them are having a hard time making their way up the steps. You know, another flight of stairs might just kill them. Our shoulders hurt every time we, we move them a certain way. Our legs ache after even a short walk, or we can't even walk to the bathroom without, you know, putting our glasses on. Um, someone's got to open the jar for you. And those of you that are young enough to think that maybe I'm exaggerating about some of this, just you wait. I'm not. There are many that are going to listen to this sermon and they can only daydream about water skiing or, or hiking up a mountain or even walking the mall. All right, we know what it's like to be weak. Even those of us who are, are young and healthy and strong, you know, maybe you caught COVID and you spent a couple of weeks where just, you know, walking to the other room exhausted you. Maybe you injured yourself playing a sport and, and now you've got a knee that, that aches every time the weather changes. But we know what it is to be weak and feeble and exhausted and to feel helpless. But Paul says that our resurrection bodies will be raised in power. And he uses this word dunamis, which it not to read too much into it here, but it's the same word from which we get dynamite, right? So it means power. Now, again, we can only imagine what it means to be raised in power because we've never seen this before. One writer says, it will be equal to all the requirements of eternal life. It will never grow weary, never become exhausted, never have to fail because of a lack of strength. Right? Imagine never having to wonder if you can make it. <laughs> Imagine never having to calculate how much it's going to hurt in the morning. Imagine never having to wonder again or think, oh, if only I could do that. Right? That's being raised in power. Number five, Paul says our current body is natural. And this simply means physical. All right, fleshly. This is the word that the Bible often uses to describe animal life. It's life in its purest physical, biological function. It is blood flowing through the veins. It's electrical signals firing across synapses. It's your cells doing, well, what cells do. It's how evolutionary biologists might look at life and calculate life and nothing more. But Paul says our resurrection bodies will be raised a spiritual body. Now, this might leave a question mark in your head. I know it kind of does for me because according to our normal way of thinking, this sounds kind of like an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms um, like alone together or dark light or growing smaller. How we're going to be raised physically but we're going to be raised physically with a spiritual body. I mean, what does that even mean? In eternity, though, we won't be mere spirits. But neither will we be spirits confined to a physical body. It'll be a spiritual body. Now, how can it both be a body and spiritual? I don't know. I mean, I think that's more than we can understand and comprehend right now. But it's the idea that it will be a body designed for the spiritual realm, a body built 
for eternity, empowered with the supernatural. It will be a body, but, but literally a body that's out of this world. Now, what does it mean? We, we don't know, right? We're speculating here. We've never seen this ourselves. Our best evidence, and really our only evidence, comes from Jesus himself, because he is the one resurrection body we get to see in action in the Bible. Of course, there were other people who were raised from the dead, you know, like uh, Jairus's daughter or Lazarus. But all of the people who were raised to life in the Bible, the assumption is that they were raised with another earthly body. They were raised with their previous body, but free of sickness, disease, and death. And, and so we presume that they went ahead and grew old. They died. Maybe they got injured again. Maybe they got sick again. But uh, they weren't raised with a resurrection body like what we will have in eternity. Um, but in verses 45 through 49, um, Paul says that, that our current bodies are made in the image of, of sinful Adam, but our resurrection bodies will be made in the image of Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 puts it this way. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now, what will that be like? Well, consider Jesus' resurrection body. Now, what form will the spiritual body have? Of what substance will it be made? What functions will it have? What new abilities might we possess? We can only wonder. Scripture does not tell us. Jesus is the one hint. Um, but this all brings us right back to Easter. We know that Jesus rose physically from the grave. Right? People saw him. They heard him. They touched him. He cooked and they ate with him, right? They, they talked to him. They walked with him. Um, so yeah, very, very physical things to do. And yet there were some things about him that were kind of mysterious. Like there were people that saw and talked and walked with Jesus, but they didn't know who he was until their eyes were open. Now, maybe they were miraculous, miraculously kept from seeing who he was until the right moment. I don't know. Um, another time, he, he appears to walk through walls. He disappears in one place and instantly reappears in another place. We see him ascending into heaven. Um, now, it's possible that all of these things were miracles that he did as the divine son of God. That's possible. But there's also many Bible scholars that believe that, that the post, uh, that the resurrection body of Jesus um, was different, that it was more, that it was, it was better. Um, so, you know, we, we don't know exactly what it'll be like. These are our only hints. So what kind of body will you have? All right. Well, we know this. You will not die again. Whatever kind of resurrection body that Jesus has, we're promised in Scripture that ours will be the same. Paul says in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Now imagine that. 
whatever Jesus' body is like, so shall ours be. Right? So your new body will be you, but more. Right? My new body will be me, but more. Happy Easter, and God bless. <laughs>